Let's pray and ask for mercy. Father, we are very thankful that we have this morning, that we are your children, that you are with us, that you keep us, and that you are merciful toward us. I'm thankful that you know our frames, you know our weaknesses and our trials and our struggles, you know them, and you, Lord Jesus, have experienced them. Yet in all of them you did not sin, but you still can relate to us and you understand us. And even this morning as we come before you and and are seeking to understand your ways and, and get into your word, I just ask, Father, that you would mercifully speak to us, and not certainly not because we deserve it, but because we absolutely need it. Because unless you, by your Spirit, help us to understand things and are convicted and move us and and shake us and stir us and convict us and open our eyes, we're helpless little creatures. So, Father, have mercy this morning and truly bless your word, for we ask it in Christ Jesus. Amen. So something unique goes on in each of us who here is a parent. If you are a parent you know what it means for you to desire and to want what is good for your children. You want your children to do well, right? If you're a parent, God has placed it in your heart to want to your children to do well. We should at least, I hope, have a strong desire for them, especially if we're Christian parents, For our children to love the Lord and to experience Him and to know Him. If we love the Lord, that is our highest priority for our children. That they love the Lord and know Him. And sometimes we know what we should be doing in regard to helping them come to know and experience the Lord. But we don't know how to do it or where to start. Sometimes we know what we should be doing, and we know how to do it, but we allow the urgent things in life to take over, right? Busy, running around. It's always stated about how people have so much regret when it comes to their children, Because they felt the struggle, and in the struggle, they failed in the struggle. They failed to do what they know they ought to do. Instead, they committed themselves to the urgent and to the pressing. And at the end of their days, they kicked themselves, wishing they never would have done that. And it's a common common feature among us people, because we're caught up in the moment. We're caught up by the urgent. We're caught up by the now. We're caught in the, in the rat race of life. And it seems to so often have us by the neck, doesn't it? And then we end up suffering massive regret because we know how much we failed. And in other cases, we suffer regret because we knew what we were ignorant, we knew we didn't understand, we knew we didn't have what it takes, but we didn't seek the wisdom. We didn't seek to understand. But no matter what the situation is, no matter where you find yourself this morning, there's hope. You know why? Because you serve the God of all hope. And no matter how much you failed, no matter how much has happened in your life, 
We should never look back and then be in utter despair. We should look back and we should be convicted. We should look back and we should be warned. We should look back and we should see some things that that we regret. But however, that should not control our future. We need to look back and then look forward in hope, knowing the God we serve. He forgives, he cleanses, and he offers hope always to those who turn to him. So my goal this morning is that if you already know what you're to do to have your children experience God, you'll be encouraged to keep going and perhaps get going. Or perhaps when we're done, you will learn how it is you can help your children experience God in ways you haven't thought of before. Or maybe you'll hear some things that that you can change or tweak because, you know, by the grace of God, you've been fairly diligent in this. Whatever the case, as we get started looking at this, I'm going to be approaching a subject I know we're all familiar with, those who are parents, but perhaps we've been going in the wrong direction with it. So let's begin, and as we do, let's begin with an area, a subject that we are familiar with, and that's the area of prayer. If your children are to experience God, you have to pray for your children. But in saying that, not just any old prayer. Because that's a yawner, right? Oh, yeah, Dean, thanks. Yeah, pray for the kids, yeah. Boy, you're brilliant. Because there's some specifics that we need to pray about. There's some specific ways I think we should be praying. And if you're at all like me, often you find yourself just falling into ruts and patterns. We know that God calls us to pray without ceasing. He also calls us to boldly go to his throne of grace to find help and grace in our time of need. In addition to this, he also promises to give us what we ask for if we ask believing, according to Matthew 7 and Mark 11. But we are also told in Scripture that we're not to ask with selfish motives. And that's why when we do, that's why we don't receive, according to James 2. Knowing this, I think we can still know how we should pray for our children in the specifics. In regard to the how, Blackaby has a great statement in his book about praying for your children that I thought was worthy of quoting because it it impacted me. He said, prayer is not primarily for us to tell God what we want him to do for our children. It is for God to adjust our lives so we can be his instrument in their lives. We don't always know what is best for our kids. And I could add, often don't know what's best for our kids. And I was struck by the statement because how often do I tell God in prayer what I want him to do? Instead of looking to God and asking him, what is it, God, you are doing? You know what's amazing is that how little we know what truly is best. Because what we think is best often just includes uh, a life that is just nothing but pure health and goodness. And we think that 
that, uh, that what we want often, if you think of this for our children, we want their safety, we want their protection, we want their blessing, we want their good, we want, and it's all, it's all rose-colored, isn't it? But then what often God brings into the life isn't always rose-colored, is it? It isn't. So what is it? Does God not have, does God not have things right? Does he not know what he's doing? You know, we often think, we often think we know best. And yet, how often have you found, if you look back in your life, there's a lot of things that you prayed for that God didn't answer, and you're so glad he didn't. Oh, that was a close one. Thank you, oh Lord. Because if that would have, he would have answered that prayer, look at what would have happened. Because you know why? He truly does know best. He's all wise. And we are so narrow-minded and foolish so often. Our sight doesn't go very far. Our wisdom is, is shallow. We don't have great understanding. And we, even though we, we'd like to think, wouldn't we? We'd like to think, God, if you would just listen to me and you'd just listen to my plans, this is going to be amazing. That's what we're tempted to think and believe. And that says, oh, that's a joke, right? I mean, if you've lived long enough, you'll realize it doesn't take much time to live in and realizing, I'm an idiot. And I do things that are foolish. And I'm misguided so often. And, I, and I'm absolutely convinced sometimes, absolutely convinced. I've, I can't tell you how many times I've been absolutely convinced of something, only to, for it to come around and just like kick me in the, in the rear end and exposing me that I am absolutely wrong. Have you experienced that? Absolutely convinced, years later, not so convinced. Well, we are not, we are not good at calling the shots. We're not good in knowing the future. Therefore, when it comes to prayer, it really means that a lot of what our praying ought to be doing is asking God. Looking to God, asking Him for wisdom in regard to our children, asking Him, "What God, what are You doing in the lives of our children?" and help us to understand that. There was another quote by Blackaby in this chapter on the praying for our children, and I thought it was very helpful as well. And he said, "This parents often find themselves praying that their children never experience any pain or hardship. Yet God may allow various degrees of, of discomfort in your child's life to help him or her grow and learn." If God is seeking to bring maturity in Christ's likeness to our children through hardship, then it is counterproductive to pray away every difficult circumstance God allows in their lives. It's far better to ask God to help us understand what he's attempting to do through the circumstances our children are experiencing. We tend to focus our attention on what is happening to our kids Today, while well, God knows what he is preparing them to be and do for eternity. End quote. Isn't that true? And I was truly convicted by this and just under, realizing, that, yeah, that's often how it is. It's, it's, it seems like the, the prayer direction, how and what we pray is often just, please protect, please guard, please shield. Please, and, and it's all about with us desiring for them to go through life untouched. But we know as adults that mostly when we grew and we changed is when we got touched, when life hit us. 
But what was that? Was that fun? No, that's painful. I don't like that. But in reality, that's what changed me the most. That's what God used the most in my life. And so I don't want pain or hurt for my kids, so I try to pray that away from that. Yet God's used most of the pain and hurt in my life to make me more like Christ, to draw me near to Him. And so it's interesting, isn't it, as parents, how often we pray. Not that we would know God's mind. Not that we would know, well, God, what do you do in our children's life? Oh, Lord, help me to see and to see where it is you're at work in their lives. Give me wisdom and discernment and understanding. And I pray, oh, Lord, that as things come into their lives, that you would use that to draw their heart toward you. And, of course, we don't want pain for pain's sake. We, we want God to use all things to, to cause us to, to grow up into Christ and cause our children to know him and experience him. So prayer is definitely in how we pray. I think this is, a, this is somewhat of a, it was a, the thinking is a pivotal shift for me as, as well. And I, hopefully it is for you that how we're praying, not that, yeah, of course we're supposed to, but it's important to understand. If our children are to experience God, we should be praying in a particular direction along with the will of God for them. The other thing you can do to help your children experience God is to talk with your children about God, God's activity in and around their lives. I, I would be willing to bet that most of us here are all familiar with Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and following. Or at least you heard it. I'm going to read it, the first part for you so that you can recall what it talks about and i'm sure you've heard this it says and these words that i command you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up now clearly what god is talking about here in deuteronomy 6 is not simply you know give them the objective commands of to do and not to do This is what you're to do, and this is what you're not to do. That's not what he's saying here. That would be about as winsome as an appointment for a root canal. Like That doesn't draw your children towards the Lord. It's not what God is talking about here. It's like, let's just get out the Ten Commandments, and he just wants you to know, thou shalt not. There's so much more what he's talking about when he's talking in Deuteronomy, these things, you know, all of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy begins in the first section there about what God did for his children, Israel, who were sinning and who rebelled against him, who were under oppression and under the ruler of the, uh, rule of the Egyptians, and how God in his mercy reached down and in power and in might he delivered his children from their enemies. He delivered them from their captors. He delivered them. He saved them. He freed them. And that's how Deuteronomy begins. I've loved you, and I, and I empower, I saved you, and I delivered you, and I brought you to myself. And he says, now, therefore, in light of all this, and then he talks, works out what this what means. What does it mean to love God and love other people? And there's oodles of stuff in there and all kinds of areas of life. God wants parents to talk to their children constantly about his work, the wisdom of his laws, the foolishness of rebellion, the process of repentance, reconciliation, and and, uh, restoration. 
He wants them to see how much he's loved them in saving them from the power of the Egyptians. The command is to talk about these things, not to finger wag commands, but discuss, talk. When I was reading Blackaby's book on this section, and what he was describing, how he lived in his family and how much they talked about these things, I was, I was convicted. I was brought up short, and I realized, you know, I don't do a great job with this. And, and as I thought about it, I, this is usually, the, this, is, this is why. In our circles, I believe we're committed to Christian education for our children and injecting talk about God's activity in our lives, in our day-to-day lives, in the world, in the life of our children, isn't so much part of the curriculum. So we're committed to, to talking about and teaching and training about God and having a biblical worldview, and I think that's wonderful, and it needs to be happening, and that's all good. And saying that, no, in no way saying that that's wrong, that's wonderful. I think we need... To, uh, more of that. But it's interesting. It's like we can begin to rely, can't we, on curriculum? We can begin to rely on program. We can begin to rely on this, the schoolwork. And then in the, in the midst of life, if you look at Deuteronomy 6, it's like everyday life. When you walk by the way, when you sit down, when you're in your house, it basically gives this idea of walking and moving through life. And as you do that, he says, I want you to talk to your children about me about who I am and what I've done. And help, and help your children to see that in their lives, God's work. In your life, God's work. And in the world around you, God's work. And I would just have to say that most of us here have a sincere commitment and a wonderful commitment to educate our children in the, in the fear of the Lord and to teach them his ways. But what I don't want us to do is relegate that to the textbooks or to class time or to, the, to, to programmatically having it just in this one area. And then when we go into the rest of the life, we deal with world, the world in a very humanistic, scientific kind of a way. So they no longer marvel as they walk around at the butterfly and the rose and the heavens as they declare his glory because we just don't talk about it like that. Because I'll tell you what, they're bombarded. They're bombarded from the world to view this world and everything in it and in their lives purely from a scientific vantage point. And so after a while, you just cannot, you can't shed that. And so you live actually in that world and think of it from those categories. And, and then it just, now's God time. When I'm, I open my Bible in the morning and I have my devotional time, it's God time, put it down. And now it's, it's world time. I head into the world. And everything in that world, it's like it's devoid of God in some way. And what we want to do is stop that, that crazy dichotomy and have... You know, and, I, and I've, like I said, it's just I feel so convicted myself and realize, why don't I talk more about God and his glorious goodness at the grocery store when I'm going through the, the fruits and vegetable aisle? Look at, look at this, kids. Isn't this amazing? God gave us an orange. Think about this. And not just orange. Look, look around. I mean, we've got fruits from all over the world here, and there's just, look at the, look at the, look at the different colors Look at the different flavors. Look at the different sizes and the different shapes. Isn't God unbelievable? He, didn't have to, he could have gave us one little, maybe like a carrot, and it was all bland, and it was like, that's good enough. Get your nutrients. 
But he didn't. And so you have devotions in the vegetable aisle. That's what God's talking about. He's talking about going through life and and helping us to see. Because if we don't see, see, he's so obvious, he's so in front of our face that we forget it's there all the time. Forget he's there all the time. And so when it comes to having our children experience God, so much of what they can experience of God in their own lives, in their own world, we just, we're just too busy. We're running around and we relegate it to this time in our educational time where they can get their God view. And the rest of our lives, we don't think to talk about it. And, you know, right here, guys, look at here. Guilty as charged. How many times have I passed by the vegetable of my kids and said nothing? Every time. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying when I read this stuff and and I realize, wow, you know, um, this really does make a difference. Because we can, you know how easily we can become blind to God's activity in the world in our lives, even just think about how often you talk about what God is doing in your life to your children. (laughs) What's God teaching you? How are you experiencing God in your life? What's God doing in your world? We just don't think to talk about it when we're sitting down, when we rise up, when we walk by the way. We're too caught up in other things, aren't we? Well, I'll leave it at that for now. And there's so much we could say just about that one thing about talking to our children. And, and talking to them, we're talking to ourselves, aren't we? So much of trying to help somebody else see helps you see. So we're not just hurting them, we're hurting ourselves. The other area that I think that we need, really need to consider and understand if we're going to have our children experience God is, is ministering with them. Now, I'm almost certain that this will kick us all in the pants as well. Because how often do we simply go about our lives doing our work, raising our kids, educating them, and then hoping they become responsible and do the same thing as we did? Now, of course, those are good things. Be responsible, do your work. You know, that's great. However, if, if in life we don't, while we are walking in life, if we're not the kinds of people serving and ministering to others who are the kinds of people who demonstrate, who model what it means to love, what it means to extend ourselves to others, then we're not allowing our children to see God and experience God in ways that they really can. Because I tell you what, until you give to another person and impact their life and watch how God uses that, you don't know living. That's amazing. It's amazing. And if you can't take your chil- children and walk with them to an experiences and do and minister to other people with them and, and alongside of them and allow them to experience that themselves, they miss a massive portion of what it means to, to experience God in their lives. And, I, and, and it, once again, how easy is it just to, you go, you do, sure, you could look at your life and say, there's lots of ways that I minister to others, but then ask the question, have you ever brought your kids out into that with you? No, they get in the way. That's too much work. Just think of, I mean, when you train your children to do something, you say you want to teach them to cook something. Well, the dinner took 
four hours long. We had a huge mess. It was complicated. I'd never do that again. I could do it so much easier myself. Serving and ministering to others. You realize something else? It requires us to become uncomfortable. And so often, if you look at your lives, what are you trying to do? We're all trying to, to make a routine in, a, in, a, in our lives to function and go in a certain way so that they're very comfortable. We're always looking to be comfortable. But you know what it means to love other people? It often means to go out of your way. And, and oftentimes, uncomfortable. Out of your schedule, just go look at the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. That guy went out of his way. It cost him time. It cost him money. It cost him sacrifice. He had to, he had to break his schedule to do it, didn't he? So doing that, is it, loving other people isn't is easy, but loving other people is beautiful and, and often where we experience God. And not just that, loving other people and then bringing our kids along with us to do that is something that can really have an impact because there they get to see and experience God. I recently heard a story of a young man named Tony who was living on his own and struggling to make it, and he was depressed and bummed out, and he had $24 left to his name. He didn't know what he was going to do. He didn't know what the next move should be. And as he thought about it, he realized, well, you know what? I, can't, I shouldn't take, drive my car. That costs money. I've got to put gas in it. That would be dumb. I can't go out and do something with anybody doing anything. That would be crazy because, you know, probably the first priority should be to eat. And if I eat, I, don't, I want to be careful. So maybe I don't like to cook, he said. So how about I, I, I don't know, I know. I'll go to a buffet. That's what he thought. I'll go to a buffet. I can gorge myself. I gorge myself, and maybe I can hold on for a couple days and then have another meal, and then maybe, you know, maybe give me, buy some time, buy enough time where I maybe get a little bit more money. So he went to his local buffet, local restaurant that had a buffet, and he goes there, and as he gets in line, he, he orders his meal, and he pays his money, and he takes his $16 and change that he had left and stuffs it in his front pocket, and he turns around to the buffet and goes to get his meal, and as he does, he sees this little boy, and this little boy is uh, probably like a young, young boy, 11 years old, he said. And he's just super cheerful, and he opens the door for this lady, lets her in, and then she goes to her place, and he pulls the chair out for her and lets her sit down, and, and then he sits down, and he has this big smile on his face, and Tony said, he just blew me away. I've never seen a kid do something like that. And he said, he walked up to him and said, boy, you are a champ. I can't believe you did that for this this beautiful lady, and that was, this is amazing, and he said, well, that, that, this is my mom, he said, and without even thinking about it, this kid had won his heart, Tony reaches into his, uh, his pockets, and he says, young man, you buy her lunch today, so he gives, he gives him all the money he had left, and he said, he didn't really know what he was doing, he didn't know why he did it at the moment, he just felt compelled to do it, and then he but he walked out of the, the restaurant, and for the first time in his life, he said, he experienced one of the most gratifying and amazing feelings he ever had of giving to someone else and receiving far more in the process than he gave. He said he skipped all the way home, 
happy as could be, not even thinking, I'm broke. He gets to his place. He goes to the mailbox, grabs the mail, goes up to his apartment, sits there, plops down on the couch, opens this one uh, white envelope, and then opens it up. And what was in it? $1,000. Well, he couldn't believe it. He just wept. He wept. Because he was just overwhelmed by the grace and goodness of God. He couldn't believe it. And that day, Tony experienced the grace of God in a way that transformed his life. He learned the greatest lesson ever. It's so much better to give than to receive. And God provides. God provides. He experienced God in a way that perhaps many of us never have. I don't know. And why? Well, because we often fail to put ourselves out there and do things out of love for others, the things that cost us, cost us time, cost us money, cost us things. And we fail in that process to experience God. In addition to that, we fail to take our kids along with us to experience God in the same way. We so often fail. Because you know what we often think? If we think about serving, we think about giving, we think about loving, and we think about bringing our kids in in with it, that can feel like just too much work. Where do I start? But let's make it real simple here this morning. Real simple, real practical. Where do you start? Start really easily. One thing you can do is you can open your home. God's given you a home, and guess what? You have to eat. You have routines and you have to eat. It's going to cost you a little bit more money, a little bit more time, but one thing you can do is invite people over into your home. It's, it's a simple way to start. If you're not saying, what's the first step? How can I minister to other people? Well, feed them and grant them a good time and, and be gracious to them. And here's the other thing. Instead of, like we do, relegate the kids to the, the cleanup of that disaster, which feels like being probably relegated to the basement. Um, as I thought about this, why, why don't we involve them in the planning of it, the preparing of it, the anticipation of it, the, the, the part of it that actually gets them involved in, in experiencing the joys of actually doing things to prepare for guests and have them. And then when they're there, even talk about things to talk about and how ways we can minister to this particular family. Now, of course, that's, you might not think that's changing the world or something incredibly significant but in terms of ministry, but it's huge. It's a huge ministry. Now, maybe you've got some other ideas. Maybe there's some other things that you can do, other stuff that in, in your life, in, in your world, in your neighborhood, perhaps, where you could, you could serve and minister and give and sacrifice and you could take your kids along with you because it's in those times, in those places, that you're really going to see God work and move. You get a chance to experience God. I, and I just want to quickly say... Um, in this, in, that, in this message that I'm giving to you, I don't want you to ever think, in, again, in terms of your own abilities, your own strength, your own resources. You serve the God of heaven and earth. 
take risks and move forward looking for him to supply. Looking to him to provide because that pleases him greatly. I'm going to close with this last area and I'm going to be quick because our time is um, departing on us. And it's, this is an area where, you know, I'm sure you're not going to think of this as experiencing God. But a key area in where we can have our children experiencing God is in disciplining our children. That's right. Discipline. But not by saying, come on, little Johnny, let's go experience God. And then you go and spank them. Rather, by going through the process of discipline. As we do this, some pretty profound things happen in their hearts. And God says a lot about discipline. He says a lot about spanking. He says a lot about the rod. And in fact, Proverbs, all by itself, is loaded with not only what we're to do in discipline, but why and how God uses it. I'm just going to quickly, I'll read, just going to read these sections from Proverbs, and you'll see how much is in there. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines, diligent, is diligent to discipline him. 23, 13 through 15. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. 22.15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 29.17, discipline your son while he, and he will give you rest. He will delight, he'll give delight to your heart. 19.18, discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Proverbs 20.30, blows that wound cleanse away evil, stripes that hurt the innermost parts of the heart. Proverbs 29.15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Pretty extensive. And what's amazing here is God just doesn't say do it. You know what he always attaches in all these? Our promises. He says, There's, look at all these benefits. Let me just highlight them for you real quickly. It, de- it says it demonstrates love. You save their soul from Sheol. They end up going in the way that, that you train them. When they're older, foolishness is taken out of their hearts. It will result in delight in the parent's heart. It cleanses the child's heart, and it gives the child's, child wisdom. He says, this is what happens from disciplining your children. And here, here's something I want to... T- tell you as well probably the greatest experience our kids have when they get disciplined is of the gospel and how it works and you might be thinking really the gospel what does the gospel have to do with this everything because just think of the paradigm we operating in we are not giving them the punishment that they deserve for sin the wages of sin are what death the gift of God, what he gives is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you look at Proverbs, one of the things you're doing is you're correcting, you're chasing, you're spurning, you're trying to, you're getting them to turn away. This is a blessing. And then in the restorative process of discipline, you see that a child will sin, a child will rebel, a child will do what they're not supposed to do. They're disciplined. And then what do they do? And they're not cast off. You don't, you don't spank them and throw them in the ditch. No, you spank them and you draw them near. 
you correct them and you, you restore them and you hug them and you kiss them and you pray with them and you talk about the forgiveness that's in Jesus. And in that process, they experience the gospel. In fact, the proverb says is that they, there's cleansing in the heart. You can often see your child if you, if you deal with them and, they, and there's some, some serious good sting delivered in the spanking that they're often they're, they'll turn towards you and what they're looking for is assurance. And so they get, receive the assurance and they receive the cleansing and they receive the acceptance and you'll notice that the relationship is restored. It feels like the stuff that, that's gotten in between you has, is, is, is dealt with. It's very gospel-centered when it's done with the gospel orientation, knowing that you, are, you do not spank to, uh, to bring judgment and punishment. Instead, you, ju- you spank to correct, to turn their hearts away from that towards God and to, be under, and to experience reconciliation and forgiveness and restitution. That's the process, and the process process is gospel oriented and what it is it's beautiful it's effective it brings delights and rewards but when it's you know so many people don't like spanking because they think that you know especially nowadays it, it creates monsters you know they're just going to be evil people who want to shoot up the world because they've been abused abuse is when it's anti-gospel, it's self-centered, it's not about correction at all, it's about a parent who can't handle it anymore and beats the tar out of their kid. That's abuse. That's evil, that's wicked, it has nothing to do with the biblical paradigm, it's anti-gospel. But I tell you, when it's done out of love, and you correct a child and draw them towards being reconciled and make restitution, and there's forgiveness, and there's cleansing, it's beautiful, it's gospel-oriented, and I'll tell you what, your kids experience God in the process. So let your kids experience God, and spank them. Hug them, kiss them, love them, and restore them. But not only that, minister to others with them. Speak to them about God and pray for them in ways that are helpful. Because as you do these four things, your children, with your children, to your children, for your children, there will be plenty of ways in which they will be experiencing God and see that he is indeed living, he is indeed awesome, and he is indeed good. But please, do not leave here today condemned for what you didn't do. Rather, be convicted and understand what now what repentance likes for what you need to do. That's always should be how we approach these things. Make changes today, and you'll make an impact tomorrow. And the God of all grace will do what only grace can do, and he'll bring roses out of manure piles. Amen. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you treat us as your children, and you spanked us, and we know what it's like to be spanked by you and to be drawn towards you and to be reconciled with you and restored with you and receive your grace. You're an awesome Father. You're perfect in all your ways. You're kind and you're loving and you're good and you just don't let us get away with being fools forever. So please, Lord, continue 
your graciousness in our lives and help us, convict us all that we would begin to make changes and really all that we would as parents especially be given an extra measure of grace that we might help our children to experience God. For we ask this in Christ. Amen.